This week's episode of On Comedy Ring is brought to you by Amazon Prime Student. Coeds, are you listening? Coeds means both female and male. I don't know if people knew that, but coeds means both female and male. Though I guess if you look up the the porn category coeds, you're going to see a lot more female. Anyway, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry to talk about porn. Um, this week's episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime Student. You can get fast, free shipping on over 100 million items, none of which are uh, pornography. Stream thousands of TV shows and movies. Uh, you can get probably um, Showgirls, but not uh, not porn. And get exclusive college deals. What's that? What are exclusive college deals? Probably Jeff freaking Bezos himself teaching you not to unionize. <laughs> he goes in and says, actually, I think unions are, are bad. Uh, for you, the consumer, and uh, for everyone involved. So no unions, actually. Jeff, if you're listening, I think you're the, the bee's knees. Please don't, please don't take money away. Um, you can start your six-month trial through Boardwalk Audio. After your trial, Prime Student is just six forty nine a month. That's half the price of a non-student Prime membership. You can cancel any time, and you get college deals and exclusive promotions, none of which will be for pornography. Amazon's taking a hard stand against it. As is Apple. You know, Why? You know, I think uh, I think porn should be available everywhere. Uh, we find the deals, not me, but Amazon. You shop, save, and enjoy. Prime Student works with hundreds of vendors to surface great deals just for students. No adults allowed. Whether you are headed to college yourself, have a child going to college, uh, if you do, watch out for a dare dorm, because uh, that'll get you. Or are looking for the perfect gift for a college student. Maybe a, maybe a little Pornhub account. You know what I'm talking about, boys? <laughs> we gotta teach men to be better. But we gotta teach boys to jerk off. We have you covered from laptops and video games to study snacks and office supplies. You'll find it all here. Happy off-to-college shopping. Students can start their free six-month trial of Amazon Prime by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash primestudent. That's boardwalkaudio.com slash primestudent. Boardwalk Audio Podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast of the business of craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would. We get a little kickback. And hey, if you're out there and you're using the old affiliate link, tweet at me. Send me a DM because I you know, buy stuff on Amazon all the time and I forget nearly every single time. So it'd be cool to know someone's you know, doing it, giving me that freaking sweet dough. And uh, yeah, it'd be nice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and if you don't, don't say a word to me. Uh, this week's guest is Arthur Meyer from the great sketch group Pangea 3000 with uh, recent guest Seth Reese. The Onion, and Late Night, and currently The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, where he is the sketch supervisor, which is basically head of sketch at old Jimmy Fallon. Lots of good stories in here, especially about how Arthur was hired. Uh, spoiler alert, Jimmy Fallon is a very nice man. Uh, it's a good app, baby. Stream it, download it, share it on... Um, hmm. Share it on Tinder. Yeah. Uh, God, that was a stupid joke. Okay, sorry about that. Hey, the episode's good. So here is Arthur Meyer. Arthur, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Alan. Uh, where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from uh, Chicago. I lived there for the first four years of my life, and then I moved to a suburb of Chicago called Wilmette. 
um, okay. which is like a half hour outside of Chicago. Okay. Did you do like go to any like um, comedy stuff in Chicago when you were a kid? I did. Yeah. I. Uh, um. I well, I was obsessed with SNL, but then I didn't really start. Like then I started researching SNL and finding out where all those people came from. And it, you know, Second City is it was the primary play. That and the Groundlings were the main two places. And uh, so I think around my sophomore year of high school or junior year, I started to, to go into the city to see Second City shows, Improv Olympic shows, and I took Second City classes in high school for about a year. Also, were they like Second City teen sh- uh, classes or just regular classes? That was just like that was specifically for like people in high school. Oh, I think. Okay, yeah, be wild, like just like a teenager with like a. A bunch of you know thirty year olds or something. Oh man, there's no way I could have done that. I was so intimidated, but and I would go see these shows at Improv Olympic that were you know I would see these people in their like twenties and thirties, and they seemed like fully grown adults to me. And I thought I'm never going to you know I mean this this is like a completely different league right here. But of course now that would be like the equivalent of seeing um you know just like a regular old show of the UCB or something right. which to me now feels that oh yeah that's that's about right that's that's nothing crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is funny i had like a, an 18 year old in one of my UCB classes mm-hmm. like advanced classes so she must have been taking it for like a year at least wow that's interesting yeah so i don't know i won't rat her out i don't know if she lied on the thing but <laughs> i'll rat her out um so what kind of comedy did you like watching growing up um well the big i mean yeah the big one was saturday night live yeah that was huge i i was i became obsessed with that show starting on my 11th birthday i remember and then i would watch it religiously i would tape it every week and then watch the tapes and then nbc started airing classic episodes of saturday night live at uh 2 a.m oh i remember that yeah yeah and that was very interesting because i was i always wanted to find out more about those old casts but we didn't have uh we didn't have cable so I couldn't, I couldn't watch the reruns of SNL. But then they aired full hour and a half versions, the original episodes of SNL, going back to like they aired episodes from all eras of the show, including the early '80s too. Oh, like the, the yeah. Dick Ebersol years. And so then I, I, oh, ha- I forgot about Dick Ebersol. That's oh, so yeah. wild. Yeah. Like, everyone, everyone remembers that one for uh, John uh, Dominion or whatever. The name yeah. Was. Oh yeah, Gene Dominion. Gene Dominion. Yeah. But Dick Ebersol. Also, and that's even crazy. It's much crazier. It's he's like he's like a sports guy. Yeah, he was part of the NBC Sports World, and then um, was brought in to executive produce a comedy show. <laughs> and uh, so he did that between eighty one and eighty five. Yeah, that's the other weird thing is that I was obsessed with the show to the point where I know all the dates of the episodes and stuff, and like wow. when each cast member was on the show. Whoa. That that was my level of obsession. I liked other things besides that. I watched a lot of those like NBC must see TV sitcoms. Um, you know, I loved, uh, God, what else did I, I mean, you know, like the Naked Gun movies and Airplane and, uh, you love OJ Simpson, OJ Simpson. He actually, I recently watched the Naked Gun and OJ Simpson is very funny in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Murderer OJ Simpson is a very funny actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder what's, what's next for him. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he'll get back into comedy movies again. Yeah. He'll be like, some a, people would go see it. You like know? a Kevin Hart movie. He'll make a cameo. You never know. Yeah, you really never know. But yeah, that, that those were the big things. Um, uh, and then I also got really into stand up in high school. I got into um, like George Carlin and uh, Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld um, and uh, a lot of those guys. And I found out about like yeah, like Louis C.K. early on. I really got into his comedy and 
Um, yeah, I don't know. That that was a big thing for me. George, George Carlin was probably the biggest one in high school. Yeah. Listen to a lot of his stand-up albums. I really only know the, the famous, like, the seven words you can't say. Yeah, that's that's it's really funny, actually, because that, that is a very good George Carlin routine. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me, he doesn't really begin to hit his, like, true stride until the 80s when he starts doing more, like, political and social. Like, he starts being very direct with his comedy. He had kind of like a more laid back approach in the 60s and 70s, but then he, I feel like he just gets sharper in the 80s and even then in the 90s. And then, and the liner notes for his 1996 album, Back in Town, which is, in my opinion, his best album, he talks about how he's, at this point, he's, I think, 60, I want to say 63 years old when he makes it. And he thinks it's the best thing he's ever done. He says that in his, his liner oh, wow. notes. Yeah. And it doesn't come off as cocky. It just kind of, it just comes off as very, you know, he's, I don't know. He just seems sort of settled and like he's very clear headed in, in his element and knowing exactly what he wants to do. I, for whatever reason, I only know George, George Carlin from like his famous, his very famous stuff. Yeah. And then being in Dogma. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's it. <laughs> which is bad. I'm realizing I've got, that's a big hole. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. That being said, you know, he's, yeah. there's a lot of bad stuff, too. True. Bad George Carlin comedy can be pretty bad. And I, I think some people really don't like when he goes off on those, you know, he'll talk about businesses and, he'll, you know, two for one sale. You know, like, uh, I don't, he just lists a whole bunch of business terms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not, oh, really? it's not really, it's almost more like poetry than comedy. <laughs> but it's extremely well written. Yeah. I, I've put him, in my head at least, this might be totally way. I put mm-hmm. him, Lenny Bruce, mm-hmm. and uh, Bill Hicks like in the same category. Yeah. To where like I don't know if I'd actually think those guys are funny. In my opinion, George Carlin is the only one of those three guys who is actually funny. Okay, yeah. And I even like some of Bill Hicks's comedy, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's very funny. Yeah, it's... I think he and Lenny Bruce both had an attitude that is in line with comedy, and that is a comedic attitude. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actually just being funny, like does this person make you laugh? I would say right. George Carlin does that. I'll ch- I'll I'll check out George Carlin. Back in Town is really good. Yeah. J- Jamming in New York, nineteen ninety two. Jamming um, in New York that's a pretty fun title. I think he has one called "What Am I Doing in New Jersey" or "What the Hell Am I Doing in New Jersey." <laughs> that's a very funny yeah. one too. His really his stuff in the late eighties, early nineties, really good. Mm-hmm. And then I think his second to last special, which I believe is called. Life is worth losing. I think that's the name Whoa. of it. That one is almost not even funny. It's just mostly about death. Yeah. Um. But it feels in the spirit of comedy. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so you also talked about SNL. Mm-hmm. Uh. Like how is so you you said you're obsessed with SNL. How is that like the way you watched SNL change as you got into comedy? That's a good question. Um. I don't know. I think it it totally has changed. I've I've always been fascinated with the show. Just because I think it's a really cool thing that you could do, like, you know, eight to 12 different, you know, comedy things in an hour and a half time. I've always loved sketch comedy. That's the thing I love about sketch comedy is, you know, the range of ideas that you could express in a short period of time. The constantly changing casts and the constantly changing writer, you know, the writing staff and the cast is always interesting and just seeing how the show evolves. Um, and as I've gotten older, I don't know, I think when I, it was sort of a similar thing that when I was a kid, I used to look up at those people and think, oh my God, these are like superheroes and I could never be, um, 
at their level. But now that I'm older I, and I've done, you know, some stuff that I'm proud of and that I, I feel good about, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can. I do feel like that. But I still I still like watching. I, it basically just eliminates the idea of there being superheroes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't think I've, I would ever say that they're actually comedic superheroes. Just like just very, you know, they're just some very funny people, yeah. you know, but it's all within the. The range of, you know, what anyone can do. I've never seen anyone do, like, anything, you know, any, like, superhuman comedy. Yeah. Just very, you it's know, very funny that. people. But that that was my view of it when I was a yeah. kid. I, I thought, oh, that's just something you can't even do. Right. But I think it is stuff you can do. And I think the older you get, the more you learn about comedy. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's a lot of just honing craft and... And it's a very personal experience of trying to get in touch with your voice and, and trying to continue evolving your voice as you as you get older. I don't know. So superheroes in comedy is like an interesting idea. Yeah. Because I think of like like Nathan like Nathan Fielder Nathan for you like that's something I don't think I think very few people could like do. Yeah, I I I also think very few people could do that too. Yeah, it is interesting actually. Um, that's that I think is maybe my favorite comedy show yeah. of all time, Nathan for you. Um. And I became friends with Michael Komen, who co-created oh, that yeah. show, because I worked on this Comedy Central pilot two years ago, and um, Komen was kind of sort of a, a consulting producer sort of on mm-hmm. it. And I remember being really intimidated when I was going to meet him um, for the first time. We met just like our agents got us in touch with each other, and we met at in the, uh, the, the Marlton Hotel restaurant, which is just the back of this restaurant by the NYU campus. And I remember being really nervous about it. Because I was like, well, because, you know, this is Nathan for you. It's a funny show that I feel like I connect to in a comedic way. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm, you know, this guy's going to be superhuman. He's, you know, <laughs> and I met him and he was very funny, but I felt like instantly connected with him. And I felt like I, I had an instant friendship with him. And I thought, oh, well, th- this actually makes sense that I would, that someone who I think is really funny would also feel like a friend to me because we we share these sort of similar senses of humor. Yeah. And another friend of mine who's like that is Mike Desenzo, who has been who he was the first writer they ever hired at Fallon. And he's now one of these executive producers there. But I always felt a kinship with his sense sensibility. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to him being this untouchable comedy god, it turns out that he's you know, um a, a a good friend of mine who's very funny um but i whenever i talk to him i don't feel intimidated and i think that that makes sense you know yeah i, I don't know if i would really connect with someone on a comedic level if i if i didn't really feel like i could be friends with them right don't you think a lot of comedy has to do with um that kind of thing i remember hearing um lauren michaels talk about an interview years ago about casting people on snl saying you know, would you want to invite this person into your living room and hang out with them, basically? And I, I do think that's kind of what comes through, you know, in in comedy is is the 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 personality, the person, you know, mm-hmm. the person, not just their material, but the person. But uh, on that same in that same way, do you think like someone like you could be friends with like someone like George Carlin? That's a good question. I mean, I I imagine he like if you got to know him, he'd probably be. He'd probably be a nice guy. Yeah. I I truly think so. Yeah. What about um, Ricky Gervais? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know if he would want to be friends with me. I wonder what Ricky. If maybe Ricky Gervais when he made like The Office, mm-hmm. 
don't know. He seems like he's a gentler than. That is true. Like. That and that's the most. That's really the main thing I know of his work, and I and I love the British Office. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. You have to figure that anyone who you really admire, you know, when you like someone because of their comedy, you you you're not just liking their their comedy. You know, right. you're you're really liking who they are. Yeah. On, on some level, you must connect with them. I I think I don't know. No, I think that's right. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting to think about. It's hard to just picture someone who you think is really funny and who when you watch them you're like, Oh, this person's hilarious and then then mm-hmm. them just like being a total dick. And like I don't know, Will Farrell is another good example of someone who I've he's been on I've written stuff for him on the Tonight Show I think maybe four or five times now. And the first time I did it, same situation, very nervous to meet him. My friend John Haskell and I co wrote a sketch for him and he uh could not have been easier to talk to yeah. he's he's he was extremely easy to talk to very friendly um he, we we handed him a script that i think he had maybe read once before and he approved the idea but he now he was really looking at it closely i think i think for the first time looking at it closely this is a few hours before we're doing it too <laughs> and uh He's studying the script and he's reading it and um, very like academically. And then at one point he pauses and he goes, okay, now this line right here, should this be read? Uh, is this more like angry or sad? And then John and I looked at each other and <laughs> we were like, um, I don't know, you know, sort of however you want to do it. You know, <laughs> we were thinking we would have just been like, I, you know, you're Will Ferrell. So whatever you do will be good. <laughs> I think we said something like, yeah, yeah, however you want to do it. Maybe may angry, but really however you feel in the moment or something. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't believe. But, you know, he was really nice like yeah. that because that's the kind of person, he, you know, he must be. And that must be part of why I've always found him really funny. Uh, I can't remember what guest I had on who said this, but yeah. they said that um, that uh, with Will Ferrell, they wish that he like had like a sketch show. Yeah. Oh, like his own sketch yeah. show. Yeah. And I like, I mean, no one ever thinks of that because he's like so, you know, rich and famous. That he doesn't need to do anything. But, but yeah, that would be like the best use of his talents, probably. In, yeah. Like, a really interesting way. Yeah. I mean, he's amazing. He, he, he can do pretty much anything. So yeah. you could give him a sketch show and it would be great. Or I'm sure you could do. Has he had any sort of like TV show? I don't know. That's really weird to me. Oh, he was in the office, right? For that one yeah. episode. Like, but he hasn't like had his yeah. own. And I remember he's, he's been in like some. You know, like that Lifetime movie. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like he's done some like mini series movie type things. But Oh, like the the Spoils of Babylon? Yes, that's what I'm thinking yeah, yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. But that is interesting that he hasn't had his own show. Yeah. It would be a very funny show. Will, yeah. if you're listening. Yeah, uh, we think you should get your own show, big guy. Yeah, go to freaking NBC yeah. and pitch it. <laughs> um, so when you were like growing up, were you doing like any comedy stuff, like any performance stuff or writing stuff? Yeah, well, I okay. So where it started was my sisters and I, when I was in sixth grade, performed a weekly sketch comedy show for our parents <laughs> called Meyer Kids Night, and it was, <laughs> it was just the three of us writing. Which would be a good mod team name, right? Meyer Kids, Meyer Night? Kids Night would not be a bad yeah. idea. Yeah, for a mod team, and um, we did that. <laughs> I don't know if that really counts, but you know what? I'm going to count that. Yeah. Um, I felt the I felt very excited to do that every week. Then in high school, I. Uh, because of the popularity of Whose Lines in Any Way, one of our theater teachers started an improv troupe um, that existed for uh, the, my remaining three years of high school. 
And our high school was lucky enough to have a radio station. So my friend David and I had a radio show uh, for a couple of years and we would write four or five sketches every week and just kind of, you know, perform them. Maybe like if you and I were doing it, just reading scripts. And um, our high school also had a gigantic um, like student, bo- student body. So we had a student run sketch comedy show called Lanyat Potpourri, which I think is still still exists at the show where the students write and perform it. And um, I was the head writer of that my senior year. Fran Gillespie, current SNL writer, was also on the writing staff oh, of whoa. that show. And Beck Bennett was in the next year's show. They, wow. they, they we, we all went to the same high school, which is kind of a fun fact. Wow. Then in college, um, I wrote... Did you, did you guys know each other at all? Yeah, we were we were all friends in high I mean, school. Yeah, I mean we didn't wow. we we didn't frequently hang out, but I did. I was definitely friends with those guys. Um, That's wild. Yeah, they were great. And uh, then in college, I was in. I auditioned for and got into Slow Children at Play, which was Boston University's sketch comedy group. So I did that for four years, and I did stand up for a couple of years, mostly in in Boston. So that was kind of. I think that was the bulk of the comedy I did growing up. So at what point did you know that you wanted to do comedy professionally? Um, it was probably around my sophomore year of high school. I think I was really interested in it, starting in, interested in doing comedy starting in sixth grade, but really solidified, in my mind, I think I solidified that idea in as a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea how I was going to go about <laughs> doing it, but I was, I was somehow certain that it would happen, <laughs> but with no plan in mind. <laughs> so what did you major in in, in college? Um, I majored in film and TV. Okay, that which, seems like that's like the thing that people do. It was useless. Yeah, it was, I, yeah. It, the the thing I learned in college was it was how to like really write sketch comedy, mm-hmm. and that I learned from my sketch comedy group, which actually had a lot of people who now do comedy uh, for a living, like Dan Klein, who's um, written for a ton of TV shows now, and he's out in LA, and Zach Poitras is the head writer at Funny or Die, and. Seth, you know, Seth, who you just had on the show, Seth Reese, and my friend Sam Chemis was, you know, he's written a lot for The Onion. Um, yeah, so that 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 was a, a huge stroke of luck that a bunch of people who wanted to do comedy were in the group at the same time. Um, so what were, your, what were your shows like in college? We would do one big end of the semester show um that we would work on for months and months and um or i guess just for the the length of the semester so maybe not months and months Mm -hmm. but just months and uh (laughs) we and then in the meantime we would sometimes open up for acapella groups we would like perform yeah seth probably told you this but we would perform in front of acapella groups and uh you know, just do a short set. Sometimes we would roast the members of the acapella groups and the, oh, really? the fans went crazy for it. <laughs> they loved it. But yeah, uh, we did a big end of the semester show and that was kind of our big our big thing. Would were, be, were your yeah. roasts mean? <laughs> they were they were very playful. They were like they, yeah, I think that they usually well, there was this one group called the Dear Abbeys, which was an all male um an all-male acapella group. Extremely good. I have to say, I was very yeah. captivated by uh, their singing ability. And we we did a sketch one year where we kind of called... We called each of them, like, if there was someone in the group named Nathan, we would call them Nathan Abbey. Or, like, yeah. David Abbey. And we would just kind of... I think we would mostly make jokes about, like, how cute they were. And <laughs> their fans went crazy for it. It was mostly just screaming women with, like, a line around the block. 
Wow. Yes. And also, it was so funny because I remember Dan Klein and I used to watch these acapella group shows. And we would uh, look out into the audience and we would wonder, what do what do audiences look like when they watch acapella? <laughs> and it turns out they just sit there with their mouths open. <laughs> and... <laughs> We were like, that's why we can never do that. I, it would be so terrifying to look out and see a whole bunch of people just staring at you with their mouths agape. Yeah. It's so weird. You got to hear laughter. From from Seth's episode and now, yeah. you painted the strangest picture of your college. Yeah. Of just like... Like the most like the sketch... Your sketch comedy group was very popular, right? Like, like there's like like hundreds of people at your shows. Yeah. That that ended up happening. We, we built... Um, I guess something of a fan base. I don't know. It's hard to really say that because our Boston University was gigantic. So to, to get like 600 people at a show, I don't. I don't really know if that's too much. But yeah, we started out with pretty. In my freshman year, the audiences were maybe like 150 or something. Mm-hmm. And then we really, we we just really like worked harder and harder every semester and tried to top ourselves with each show. And we added more writing days and rehearsal days, and we had we started revising sketches, which was something we didn't do in my first semester at the show, um, which is really probably more of what a college sketch comedy group should be. Right. I don't know if you really need to worry about revising stuff, but we got super into it, and it probably took a little bit of the joy out of it um, and replaced it with uh, work that ultimately resulted in something that felt more rewarding. Um, which oh, is not to, not to say that it wasn't fun, but just uh, sometimes it's, it is really hard work to arrive at a completed product, and you and then you forget that you're not the audience; you're not watching it for the first time, um, or you know you're. It, and, and when you are watching it for the first time, you've never seen it before. So, so that hopefully is is where the joy really comes, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, you guys. Or a comedy group in college, mm-hmm. and then when you graduated, did you guys all on the same page? Like, let's go to New York. Yeah, well, so kind of. Yeah, that was sort of it. Well, so when I moved to New York, I my friends and I formed a group called Pangea Three Thousand, which was made up of me, Dan Klein, and Seth Reese, um, Sam Chemis, and Andrew Cleary. And Andrew Cleary graduated two years before us. He was also in Slow Children at Play. Seth graduated one year before. Sam, uh, Dan, and I all graduated the same, you know, we, we all graduated the same year, but we were the most, you know, the latest graduates. And I was choosing between Chicago and New York, but I didn't really know anyone in Chicago. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time who was there. So it was kind of between her or knowing people in New York who I could do comedy with. And I went with the comedy <laughs> thing only because I thought, well, I need to do something. Yeah. And if I go to Chicago, I just don't know what I will do. So... Yes, we all moved to New York with the uh, idea of starting a sketch comedy group. So we did that. Your girlfriend was super happy about that. Oh, she loved it. She loved us talking on the phone for two more years. (laughs) (laughs) And then slowly breaking up. (laughs) It was so drawn out. Um, Yeah, that was a really... Man, it's such a hard... It was a very hard decision to make. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt tremendous guilt about it at the time. But uh, I'm glad I did it because... um, It, I, I really liked being in Pangea 3000. And yeah, those guys were... Uh, yeah, we did kind of make a collective decision to, to start a sketch comedy group then. Why, why did you guys choose Pangea 3000 for the name? Um, I think, if I remember correctly, Dan Klein and Andrew Cleary, I think both of them came up with it together. 
And I don't remember how they... I don't think they were trying to think of a name, but I think they just said it and they thought it sounded cool. Mm -hmm. And I think they suggested it to the group. And we all agreed that it sounded like something, but we couldn't quite figure out what. We're like, is it like a product, like a blender or something? Or is it... And we all kind of know about Pangea, but don't know, you know, too much about it. And mainly we just like the way it sounded. Pangea is a cool word. It is a cool word. When I was in high school, uh, I was a bit of an asshole. Oh, yeah? I would, uh, at the improv shows, it was like short form improv. Mm-hmm. And I would, when they said suggestions, I'd always say Pangea. Oh, really? Yeah, people didn't like that. Eventually, <laughs> eventually one of my friends on the show, he's like, hey, dude, everyone hates that. You got to stop doing that. Why did people hate it? I guess because um, there's... Not a lot you can do with Pangea. I mean, I don't know. It was short form improv. Yeah. I don't know. They were like nervous already, probably. And then why did you suggest Pangea? Because I thought it was funny. It was just, <laughs> and I, I would also like yell, Pangea! Yeah. And then after a while, people would know I would do it. We all start chanting Pangea. So it got, yeah. It's a really good word. And it's yeah. much easier to say than Gondwana Land, which I think that's the other. Oh, yeah. Land. That's right. Um, but yeah, Pangea. Pangea 3000. Yeah. So when you got to New York, uh, were your shows well? How'd you get, how'd you break into like uh, the UCB community? Um, I started taking classes there, but not actually. No, no, no. The, I started breaking into the UCB community by we just auditioned our show in two thousand seven. Well, for our, the first show we ever did was at the Pit in January of two thousand seven. We had like a two week run at the Pit, so maybe that's not a run. That's like a we had a two week walk at the Pit, and then. <laughs> Two months later, we decided to audition our show at the UCB, and I think at that time it was way easier to audition a show because the UCB wasn't as hugely popular as it as it eventually became, and we had a good show, and we got a run, and uh, but then it wasn't until about a year later that I started taking improv classes there. Um, I never took sketch classes. I didn't take ever take sketch classes at all. I... I learned everything I needed to know about sketch in in my college sketch comedy group. Um, And also from watching Saturday Night Live, too. Um, I really think if you watch SNL, it teaches you, like, good, basic sketch structure. And um, everything else we just kind of learned in uh, just working together in our our college group. With SNL, do you sometimes find... I I, There are some sketches I think are, like, very good Mm -hmm. things. But there are also some sketches that are, like hard to like you couldn't really take anything from it i feel like oh you mean in terms of oh yeah in like terms of learning yeah about yeah sketch comedy yeah that's true is there a sketch you're thinking of i don't know I'm, i mean um for some reason i just thought of the will ferrell uh in the american underwear one in the american under- oh, oh 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 the american flag yeah. underwear yes that's and right. that's funny but i don't yeah. think there's really much you can <laughs> yeah. other than just like it's fun i guess maybe that yeah. you can think it's funny to be nude i guess yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of it. I guess they just sort of escalate the sketch by him just, like, sitting up in his chair or something. Yeah, yeah that's one of those sketches that that was his, like, last season on the show, and they probably just let him do whatever he wanted because he was hilarious. That was, like, right after 9-11, too, right? That was their second show and after so, 9 Oh, yeah. and so everyone was, like... I remember that's, like... For whatever reason, that's, like, considered, like, a, 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 a you know an important sketch. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was because everyone was wearing their little pieces. Of, oh, that's right. People were wearing like American flag pins. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was what the idea was based on. I remember. Oh, all right. That's that that's... was also a really good example of like early post nine eleven comedy mm-hmm. because I don't really think there was much comedy about nine eleven until 
a couple months afterwards. I think the the Onion, as I remember, was the first comedy institution to do comedy about nine eleven that really felt both honest and funny and cathartic. Um, but SNL would do; they didn't really do too much about it until a few months in. But that was a good example of a sketch that's like this is it's more about the people's reactions to nine eleven, right? I think there was a lot of comedy that people found in that that they that people found in how people react to tragedies, which mm-hmm. um, I too think can be very funny the way that people react. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was wrong. Yeah, you can learn something from that sketch. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't really. On the other hand, it's also just pretty dumb and funny. I, I mean, that's also yeah. a thing I, that you could learn from any comedy thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's just fine to be dumb and funny. Uh, what do you think make, makes a good uh, sketch for theater? Oh, for like a live audience? Um, I guess if you're talking specifically about a live audience, um, I don't know. Um, I think just, I I would say if there's something interesting that feels new that you haven't seen, um, but then I guess I would also go for video too. So as far as the live element goes, um, I don't know, I guess something that's conducive to to playing off of the energy in the room. It's kind of hard to say, Mm -hmm. only because I've seen so many different types of sketches that I can't. I don't know if there's anything that fundamentally would link those sketches together, except that they're funny. Right. <laughs> but, uh, so you work on, we're going to talk about this later, but you work on The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And so when you do sketches for that, are you feeding on the live energy of the audience as much as you are just like working for like the audience at home? That's a really good question. Um, I always think of it as we're trying to make the audience in the studio laugh mm-hmm. because... I think everything comes, I think essentially the show comes from Jimmy and Jimmy feeds off of the studio audience's energy. Um, Jimmy is the person that the studio audience and the people at home are all watching. Mm -hmm. So his energy is key, but he, in the immediate moment when we're live taping the show is performing in front of a very small audience, an audience of like 200 people or something. Maybe there's 200 and, 20 people in the room if you include the roots and the crew or 250 or something um so i always think of it as what will make those people laugh so in a way it's to me it sometimes feels like you're just you know you're writing for like a small theater or something Mm. um and i try to think of well what will sound funny coming out of jimmy's mouth and what will what will be funny what will make an audience what will make our studio audience laugh because then if they're laughing um, then that affects the energy of the way that the people at home watch the show too. Uh, so your sketch group, Pangea 3000, yeah. you did a lot of shows at the theater. Uh, Seth mentioned that you guys had a New York times article. About <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. So, so how does like a sketch group become successful like that? I don't know. I would, one could easily argue that we were not successful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that article in the New York times was about our, the ending oh, of our right, group. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We, uh, yeah, you you could easily debate whether or not we would be called successful. In fact, we had one of our shows that we did at the UCB was called Pangea Three Thousand Sucks, and that name came from the idea of, you know, when people would come see us after the show, like our friends and family and stuff, they would stick around afterwards and say, "Hey, that was a great job." They'd be like, "That was a great show." But then we would think, oh, well, they probably do that for groups who suck, too. Yeah. Um, so we very well might suck. Um, so Pangea 3000 sucks. And <laughs> we were saying we probably do suck because we're not like that popular. 
outside of the UCB world. I mean, we had a couple of videos, you know, that maybe got more than like 10,000 views or not that, not that I consider that to be the definition of successful. I do think we were a successful group though, because we learned a lot from each other and um, we tried to do, we, we just always tried to do new ideas that surprised us. And by the time we did our fourth and final show at the UCB, we, that was, that was a, a very new type of idea for us, which was kind of, um, it was sort of a, a very meta show where the idea was that we could sort of start the show but never actually get to the show itself. We just get right. continually sidetracked. Um, and that was that felt like new territory for us. But I have to say, at that point, I don't know if we knew what we would have done next. I don't know if we had too many collective ideas left. I remember thinking around the time that we, you know, stopped being a, it's it seems way too strong to say broke up because you hear that you hear that about the Beatles you know oh the Beatles broke up I'm like Banjo thirty thousand didn't break up actually maybe I could say we drifted away because isn't that what happened with the continent the supercontinent oh Pangea? yeah yeah so yes let's say that we drifted away but then you know we exclusive they Banjo three thousand drifted away we drifted away but yeah, yeah. but we're still all friends with each other so I don't want to paint that picture but uh, but yeah we. Um, it felt like we all needed to just work with new people or do our own thing. And, you know, we had kind of been working together for like 10 years at that point in various incarnations. Was it, was it weird to like work away from that group now? Um, is it weird to do that now? Or, or was it or, weird then, oh, at the like, time? The yeah. time, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. Um, Actually, no, no, I don't. I don't really think it was. It could, just because it felt like the next natural thing to do. I also had just recently gotten hired at Fallon at that time, so I was pretty preoccupied with with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, to me, it wasn't really that sad of a thing. It was like, oh, I've done really good things with these people, and I grew. But it's not. I actually don't think breakups are as sad as people make them out to be. Like, usually, it's the result of. This usually comes for some some reason. There's usually some reason that people want to not do yeah. stuff together anymore. Like you moved to New York instead of Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that would be a very good example yeah. right there. Um, but no, it just felt like the the next the next like organic step would be to you know at least stop doing stuff for now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever I hear about the Beatles breaking up, it seems like oh yeah, that's that is exactly what should have happened if they had continued working together. I, I think. Um, Maybe the music would have been good, but I don't know if the same energy would have been there. Well, they I think they were going to get back together. Maybe I've said that before yeah. on this podcast. Uh-huh. And the, I forget who the guest was. They, they said, like, I, don't, I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. Maybe, I, I'm, not, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but I think they were going to get back together uh, before Lennon died. Yeah, I think I, I, I've heard rumors about that, too. I guess who knows? There was, yeah. a, there was always that rumor that when they did that sketch on SNL, when Lorne Michaels right. offered them $3,000 that... that I think John and Paul were both in New York at the time and were thinking about driving to the show and yeah. doing something. Which would have been like the most iconic moment in television history. It right? would have been. But I always think that that wouldn't have happened because the way yeah. I envision it, that sketch probably didn't come on until about maybe 11.50. This is like Weekend Update probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. And then, yeah, it was, or maybe it might have even been earlier in the show than that, but it was still, let's say at the earliest, it was, it was let's even say it was 15 minutes in the show, 11.45. Then they have to kind of like put on their shoes and stuff. And when you're like 35 years old, it just takes you a minute yeah. or two longer to do that. So that's a minute or two right there. And then you got to like, 
you know, you don't have like Uber or anything, so you go to you go outside and you drive or you take a cab or something, and then you get to the studio, you got to check in, and then you have to kind of say, hey, like, yeah, can we play? Like, <laughs> and do you have a guitar? And can we hook it up? Like, we don't. Sorry, is it cool if we interfere with the musical guest who's already playing in this episode? And uh, yeah, I wonder who the musical guest was that night. Yeah. Oh shit, I I should remember this. <laughs> I can't remember at the moment, yeah. but yeah. Um, so besides doing sketch stuff, you mm-hmm. guys were working on, uh, like long form stuff too, right? Um, well, we had like a, a cartoon TV show script that we were working oh, right, on. Yeah. Um, I think that was the only real long term thing we tried to do mm-hmm. and nothing happened with that. Mm-hmm. The script was probably not that good. Well, I was thinking about this the other day is like, they're kind of going away from like sketch groups being like a single entity yeah like the birthday boys are like the last ones to have like a tv show yeah before then there wasn't really much it's like whitest kids you know and then like yeah they're like kids in the hall and then that's like it yeah so i don't know that sucks i think <laughs> yeah i don't know maybe it does suck i'm not sure I, I i i definitely remember moving to new york in 2006 and people were asking me what are you gonna do and i i often referenced the bustling new york comedies like sketch comedy <laughs> scene because I remember going to some sketch comedy festivals. Um, our college group got into a couple of those my senior year, and we went to one in New York City. And because there were all these groups coming to perform there, it really gave me the image, that, you know, the idea that, oh, there's like, you could do totally make a career in sketch comedy. And I think Human Giant started happening oh, yeah. around then, too. Um, but yeah, that stuff just kind of went away. I think maybe it's just harder to see people's. Um, personalities uh through um you know mm. sketch kind that i don't know that might be a guess i i also i don't know i i could totally see like sketch comedy groups coming back and being a thing if it's the right mix of people you yeah. know i mean even like key and you know key and peel was was big oh, that's true you know, yeah amy schumer was a sketch show but those aren't really you know groups, groups i guess yeah yeah, yeah. I, don't I don't know, know. yeah sketch we're probably also like right are we like at the end of the bubble yeah, I, is it? Yeah, we're into the boom, and now we're going to the bust. Yeah, I can never tell like how people measure like a <laughs> yeah. bubble or a bust or a yeah. boom or something. Like, I just I don't know how people keep track of that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like I've heard stuff about. Yeah, oh yeah, there's a big stand-up. Is it a boom or a bubble? Is the bubble about to burst? Yeah, I don't know what that means exactly. Yeah, I don't I know. Either. Yeah, yeah. Well, boom, boom is it's doing well. Yes, and bust it means it's. So I think we're. At the end of the boom for so, stand-ups. Okay. Right? Oh, we're at, oh, I see. So does that mean the bubble's about to burst? The bubble's about to burst, I think. Yeah. Okay, so a boom kind of increases the air inside yeah. of the bubble. Yeah. And then, and then the bubble bursts. Yeah. Okay. The bubble busts. The bubble. Oh, the bubble busts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, wait. So then there's a bursting and a busting? <laughs> there's a bursting and a busting. What's yeah. the difference between the burst and the bust? The burst is violent, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And the, the bust is nice. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Is there a bus involved? I wish. Yeah. Can you take the bus to see the bubble burst? Uh, let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be selling a Netflix special if I was a stand-up. <laughs> I don't even know I'm saying that. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. That's the weird thing. Is like it, on Netflix, aren't there all these stand-up specials? But I think, um, and I could be wrong. I think that's like. Is that the boom? That's the boom. Oh, yeah. and it's about to bust. And it's about to bust. Yeah, because there's too many of them. There's too many, and because oh, okay. like, I don't know. I mean, me personally, yeah. I like stand up. I haven't watched like any Netflix stand up specials. Yeah, I haven't either. Because there's just too many. There's too many to keep up with. I think. Yeah. Oh wait, no, I did just watch. I just watched John Mulaney's new one. 
Um, oh, I saw I saw him at I saw him live at Radio City Music Hall, so I didn't watch that. Otherwise, I oh, probably, okay. Otherwise, I probably would have. Yeah. Yes, that was that would be the same show probably. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. See, to me, I I would I wouldn't think of it as a bubble about to burst. I would just be like, oh, stand up's really popular. But does yeah. that mean that because it's so popular, it will it will bust? Well, I think it's like, I think Netflix. And again, I'm a guy who who's like talking out of my ass, but I think Netflix uh-huh. like oversaturated it with like a special every week. Uh huh. Because last oh, year I they see. had like 52 specials, I think. Yeah. And now they're doing like the 15 minute specials. Is that oh, I see. Thing? On Netflix, they do 15 minutes. Yeah, I think that's coming oh, out no. soon. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like it's all. It's too. I think they've ruined the market. Yeah. But I don't know. That's so interesting. See, if I was a kid, I would be. I would love the idea of like all these comedy specials. Like, if yeah. I was in high school, I would watch every single one of them. Yeah, I would watch more now if I had more time. But if mm-hmm. if like at being younger and and being really impressionable, I would think, oh, this is the best thing in the world. Yeah, I remember someone saying one time to me that the idea of posting links to your own stuff on like social media is um, very. Uh, selfish, mm. I think, and they meant it sort of in a negative way. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I guess so because it is very self-promotional. But wouldn't anyone from the year like 1991 <laughs> like kill to have those types of resources right. to be able to share their comedy with people? Right. And isn't this what you're supposed to be doing? You know? Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. Yeah, because I, I have to, I promote, you know, pulling the veil back. I promote this podcast every mm-hmm. week. I'm not on Facebook anymore, but when I was on Facebook, I, yeah. every every Wednesday I'd post it. Yeah. And um I don't know, it that does feel bad. Like I would always try to think of some sort of joke or bit to do in the week between yeah. so that it wouldn't just be, you know, my podcast 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 podcast. Yeah. Um and I didn't like doing that. That's part, yeah. reason, that's part of the reason I quit Facebook, not because of all the privacy stuff, just because I was getting exhausted trying to do bits on Facebook. Yeah, I've gone through so many different versions, iterations of like, oh, do I just post? You know, some some people just post the link to their own thing without anything, right. without any words, and it's just assumed, oh, this person must have written something. Yeah, and you're supposed to think, oh, they they have no ego, they just shared the link, you know. <laughs> and then some people write a little joke about it. Hey, you know. Uh, you know, or or they'll be sort of blasé about it, kind of like, hey, you know, wrote this fun thing up, and uh, you know, here it is. I don't know. Yeah. I I never really know what to do. I I think I yeah. I, try, I try to be honest if I can, and I I don't really think it's that bad to say that you like something you did. Yeah. I I have plenty of things I've done that I don't like. I can tell you <laughs> that. But I also have a lot of stuff I've done that I like, and yeah. you know, I'm not. I, I can't, you know, I can't pretend that that's not true. I, I would, if if I did, if everything I've done was shitty, I would hope. Okay, maybe I should not be. I'd be like, maybe I should not be doing this right now. <laughs> but do you, do you post uh, things that you th- that you don't think are as good as you you'd like them to be? I don't think I really do. Oh, interesting. Okay, I don't. Yeah, just because I. I would I would totally post a thing that I thought was really stupid, maybe. But I'm trying to think if I've posted a thing that I thought was actually bad. I it just seems really weird. It just seems really rude to say. Yeah, right. <laughs> really rude and off base to say. Hey, here's something bad that I worked. on. <laughs> Even though I do think that people would be like way more inclined to wanting to watch it because I, yeah. I, I think people do love to see a good old train wreck. <laughs> um, I definitely like watching like a bad sketch or when something does not go over well. I do find that very funny. Uh, what's your favorite sketch uh, from the time you were together, your group? Uh, in Pangea 3000? Yeah. Um, let, let me see here. I would probably say, I think it was the sketch that we did um, our first year in the group called The 
fart spelling bee. Okay. Occasionally referred to as the smelling bee. <laughs> and very rarely, occasionally, very rarely referred to as the smelling pee. Um, <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. But uh, bee just rhymes with pee is the thing there. Um, but we were, we did it, we did a sketch where uh, Dan Klein played the spelling bee moderator. Is that what they're called? Moderator? Yeah. Instructor? Exactly. Teacher? I think, I think moderator. Yeah. Okay. Principal? They all seem like they're principals, the people who yeah, run the spelling right. bees. So Dan goes, uh, okay, uh, your first word is, and then I step up as one of the kids and I go, F-F-R-R-N-N-I-N-T. And Dan goes, that's correct. And then it's basically just a spelling bee where you spell out farts. And yeah. Dan keeps making farts, different kinds of farts. And we keep spelling them. And then, you'll, you know, you'll say, what is the origin? And he, he goes, Greek. And um, then you'll say, can you use the fart in a sentence? You know, can you, or no, we'd never say fart, but you say, can you use it in a sentence? And he goes, sure. Uh, honey, I'm going to take the dog for a walk. <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> 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 And uh, that's honestly pretty much it. Yeah. There was another one in there where the fart was like, oh, holy shit. And uh, <laughs> you're, you're so good at making those noises. Oh, Dan, Dan was the master of making those. He was the fart master. Dan Klein, fart master. Um, those, uh, yes, that sketch was one that we wrote it. And Dan, Dan and I wrote that together, and then we performed it in front of the rest of our group. That's how we used to do it. We would break off into two groups sometimes and then perform the sketch we just wrote to the other people. And we performed that one, and everyone was laughing very hard. And then we thought, well, we can't do this. We're, we're, uh, <laughs> we basically thought we were like above doing a sketch like that, and yeah. we all kind of collectively agreed. <laughs> and then one night we just decided to try it out at a show because we were like, we needed a sketch to do, and we are like, okay, well, why the hell not? Let's do that. And um, it 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 made people laugh harder than any other sketch we did, <laughs> and that was a very good lesson to me. I thought, okay, I'm not above farts. I'm really not above that that much. I'm I'm below pretty much everything. But that's I think that's more interesting than a fart joke. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's I I think I could probably I've never really chosen to like analyze it in, in great yeah, in yeah. great depth, but I'm sure if I really thought about it, I would figure out how it's more. Than just a fart, yeah. <laughs> a fart joke. <laughs> I, I actually thought the sketch was, was well written, um, mm-hmm. but that one was so much fun to do, and we would do that sometimes, and and uh, you know, it just it, it would it would always get a really good reaction. That was a sketch that never, I don't think that sketch ever bombed once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you you worked for uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Yes. How'd you get hired for that? I got hired for that because for sort of a couple reasons. One. Um, I was friends with Mike Desenzo, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and he was a writer at the show, and he was a successful writer. But um, I knew him from he he and I went to the same college, but we didn't really know each other. But he helped Seth Reese get hired at the Onion, and then um, and then Mike got uh, my then yeah, Mike was hired at Fallon, and Mike and I lived like two blocks away from each other. So he and Dan Klein, who I also lived with, the three of us would hang out a lot. We'd go over to Mike's place and watch like Studio 60 and we'd talk, we'd talk about baseball and our shit, you know, our, our mutual interests. And so when Mike that's, got hired... It's so funny, like we'd go watch Studio 60, a show that was only on for a year. Yeah, no, and I remember the specific episode when I stopped watching. There was like episode 10 or something 
when they go next week on Studio 60 and then someone goes, there's a snake loose in the studio. And I go, okay, well, that's my cue. I am done with Studio 60. That was, was that a Matthew Perry impression? That's pretty good. No, I was going for uh, whoever the guy was who played the director. Um, I can't remember. Timothy that. Hutton? Was it a Corbin Burnson? Is that right? Corbin Burnson? Oh, wow. I think that guy played it. I think it was him. Wow, that's crazy. Corbin yeah. Burnson. He yells, there's a snake loose in the studio. And I go, okay, this is... They're at season one, and there's a snake loose in the studio. It's way too early to reach the snake loose in the snake loose in the studio. You don't want to get to until like season eleven, oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's when I stopped watching. But anyway, Mike lived right near us. We used to hang out, and it was thrilling for me and Dan when he got hired at Late Night with Jimmy Fallon because he was our first friend to kind of make it to you know what we saw at the time as being like kind of the big leagues. Um, and I helped Mike write a sketch. That was on the sixth episode of Late Night Ever. Oh, wow. Uh, I went over to his apartment one Saturday afternoon and gave him two jokes that he used in the sketch. And uh, that sketch was featured on the show. And it, I was in it, too. Because if you write a sketch on the show, you can cast it, right, too. Yeah. So he cast me as this a, a part at the way end of the sketch. I had four lines, but they were pretty big, important lines. And I had done nothing like that before. I was completely terrified. And it ended up actually going pretty well. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good experience and they, they kept, you know, asking me back to do really tiny parts on the show where I would have like zero or one lines. And, um, the, so that's kind of how I became familiar to them over there. I also submitted four packets over the first three years of the show. Um, and it wasn't until my fourth that, you know, I finally got hired. But the other reason I got hired was because John Haskell and I were in a sketch comedy group together called Two Fun Men. And we did a show at the UCB that Mike took Jimmy to see. And uh, Jimmy really liked the show. And I remember thinking at the time, too, this feels very much like in a Fallon, a Fallon sort of sensibility. And so a couple months later, John got hired, but not me. And then about 10 months later, I got, I got hired. 10 months later. Yeah. So I remember wow. it was a little less than a year. Yeah. So... What was it like, like knowing, like, oh, Jimmy Fallon's in the audience for for your sketch show? I didn't perform as well as I normally did. Yeah, I I, I think we did well, and the show was always really good and was always fun and pretty easy to get into because there was a lot of musical stuff, and mm-hmm. I just I get into musical stuff really, you know, way easier on stage. And um, but with Jimmy there, I do remember being uh, you know aware that he was there, and I remember seeing him in there with like a Yankees hat on in the third row or something. <laughs> um. But yeah, actually, this was kind of this was sort of a fun story. But I remember I, I got hired there. Um, you know, I was kind of about to give up on the show because I had submitted my fourth packet and I still hadn't heard anything. And I'm like, I just don't know if I'm, you know, I, I why, why do I keep trying to get on the show and they keep not bringing me on? And I was doing a small role there one day, like where I played a fake page on the show, and Jimmy kind of interrupted my line during rehearsal and said, "Oh, hey, Arthur." Uh, how you doing? I go, I'm good. He goes, uh, by the way, I uh, read your packet. I go, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah, it was great. And I go, oh, thank you. I still had no idea what he was getting at. And then he goes, yeah. do you want to write here? And I go, oh, my God, holy shit, yeah. Um, but he surprised, he surprised hired me on the floor of a, of a rehearsal. Yeah, it was the nicest thing anyone's ever done. It was unbelievable. That's insane. Yeah, I and it was his idea. He was like, you know, he just thought, thought it'd be nice. I think he knew how big of like an snl fan i was and how i i you know i had been a fan of his and just you know i I think i think he just knew it would be a really nice thing to do 
Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, man. It was the best. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and then uh, did your did you like nail your lines that night? <laughs> that sketch actually ended up getting cut. Yeah. Uh, it was a very bad sketch. <laughs> I remember being in it and thinking, oh, man, I hope this thing gets cut. It's pretty bad. <laughs> and then that was at a time when I needed the money in order to continue surviving. Yeah. <laughs> I th- that's how bad the sketch was. I thought the sketch is so bad that I I wouldn't mind if it got cut and if I, uh, you know, maybe went a little little hungry this week this month. <laughs> so you did uh, four packets. Mm-hmm. So do you think like over those packets, the the fourth one was your best packet? No, actually, the fourth resembled the third a lot, and yeah. I think even a lot of the same ideas were on there. Um, I think Mike, Mike DeCenso told me to to write a fourth one, but he was like, you could use some of your other ideas. I, he was like, I really don't know if your third packet was actually looked at. I think oh, just because a lot of packets don't get looked at there because there are so many that get received. Mm-hmm. And you always just have to think about putting on the show all the time that it actually is, um, just in terms of time, hard to get to reading packets, mm-hmm. get around to reading packets. Um, uh, so it does help to, you know... To, to somehow get noticed in some other way and there are a million other ways you could do it twitter feed ucb show online videos being friends with someone who's a writer there but <laughs> i mean I, you know I, I i i think that there was both for me there was both luck and skill involved there was luck in that i knew mike Desenzo, but he wouldn't have wanted me to be on the show if he didn't think i'd be a good fit right. for it um but yeah there absolutely was luck of of me knowing him what was it like transitioning into a, a late night show schedule? Um, that was uh, that was a little bit of a it was a little bit of a tough transition. I remember the first day I was there, I worked from like I got in at about nine a.m. and then I left at about eight p.m. and it was such a dramatic shift in what I had normally been doing. Which at that time I had I was like coaching or I was. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was a director for a UCB mod team, and we would you know often go out to the bar afterwards to like the Triple Crown and get drinks until like three or four in the morning, and then go home and I would go to sleep and wake up at like noon and you know maybe do some stuff during the day and then you know go out at night and do more comedy stuff and um, and then yeah then suddenly I suddenly I'm at an office job. It's basically an office job. You're in an office. Um, writing and doing work and looking at a computer and emailing and printing stuff and walking through halls and uh, you know saying awkward hot hellos to people in the hall. <laughs> it feels exactly like an office. Yeah, it was it was a pretty big shift. I remember, but but then I got used to it very quickly and I I got just really I I loved it. I I had always dreamt of like having late nights at the office when I was younger, <laughs> like and specifically a comedy office. Uh-huh. And so it was cool that that was actually a reality. And so were you always um, a sketch guy at the show? Yeah, I've I've probably written like maybe 30 monologue jokes in, in my six six years at the show. So as, as a sketch guy, how do you manage like topical versus evergreen stuff for late night? Um, well, we... Well, I actually have written a lot of monologue bits for the show and a lot of jokes that have been in the monologue, but not necessarily monologue jokes. Like, I, see, yeah. I, I haven't really written, I've written maybe like two actual, like, purely just spoken setup punchline jokes <clears throat> for the monologue that have gotten on, maybe two or three that have gotten on in my six years of the show. 
but I've written uh, a lot of bits that have been kind of more developed uh, bits that you could put in the show. And those to me actually feel a little bit more in the vein of sketch. Um, they're often based on uh, what's going on in the news. And I just like, I, I just like trying to think of a sketchy spin on the news usually. Um, like one example was, you know, I, I think when, um, I think when maybe Scaramucci got fired, um, that was at a point when like people had just been getting fired every single week for like a couple months. And so I thought of the sketch idea that we did that, um, <clears throat> Jimmy interviews Anthony Scaramucci's new replacement and it was me. And I go, thank you, Jimmy. Um, and Jimmy asked me a question. I answered it. Then it goes back to Jimmy. He asks another question, but now there's a new person there, and it's not me. <laughs> okay. And uh, Jimmy goes, "Oh, sorry. What actually? What what happened to the other guy?" And then the second person goes, "Oh, he was just fired." Uh, yeah. And Jimmy goes, "Oh, okay. Um, well, should we move on?" He goes, "Yeah." So Jimmy asks another question, and then suddenly it's a new guy. And then the new guy goes, "Oh, yeah. He was just he was just fired too." And basically, the joke becomes every time Jimmy cuts back to someone, it's a new person yeah. there. And then at one point, it cuts back, and I'm there. And he goes, wait, you're, you just got rehired? And I go, oh, no, I just I left my mug here. Um, and then at the end, Donald Trump, it turns out Donald Trump is now the, the new person doing the job because he thinks he's the only person who can do it. Yeah. But that, that to me just felt like um, that was based on a topical thing that was happening. And it just felt more like a sketch, I think, than really like topical commentary. Yeah. We also don't, at The Tonight Show, do a ton of um, biting, incisive political commentary and i don't uh have any problem with that um i think there's this expectation from some people that you need to have a sharp uh biting opinion right now and i think it's absolutely fine if you do and, and that that can be really funny um but i also think it's great to have the alternative that takes a little bit of a step back from that and just focuses on other stuff because uh I don't know <laughs> who really wants to, you know, hear Trump stuff all day long. You know, it's it's crazy yeah. how like late night is like so just political now. Yeah, I it, it really has completely shifted in that direction. Yeah, which most it, most late night shows now are, are very political, and most are um, you know virulently like anti-Trump in in their content. Right. I think probably like the the only two that I can think of. Well, I guess like there's like Corden mm -hmm. and there's like Fallon and yeah. then there's like Conan and that's maybe it. And the rest are very political. Yeah, that's true. So I think it's good that we have a show that balances that yeah. out a little bit. But I I do watch all of those the Seth Meyers like closer look pieces. Mm -hmm. I, I think those are really well done. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just kind of good journalism too. Do you, would you, I mean, in general, do you like writing about politics? Um, I don't, I, I actually never mind writing about politics yeah. because politics, I think, are just really funny. Like, uh -huh. I, I think the thing I find funniest about politics is that all politicians have to wear, um, you know, suits or, or nice dresses yeah. and stuff. And uh, that, uh, like, no one would even remotely listen to them at all if they just, like, wore jeans and t-shirts. <laughs> Um, so that to me is the funniest thing about politics. It's like, it's, it reminds me of an office where you have to, it's about kind of the way you present yourself. Yeah. And if you're saying something really idiotic, like we need more guns or we need teachers to have guns, which is, um, a completely fucking stupid thing to <laughs> say it. Uh, I think people somehow think that because the person who just said that is wearing a suit, <laughs> that it actually lends some hint of credibility right. to it. Which couldn't be further from the truth. I do think that guys like Wayne LaPierre 
you know, who's I think like the head of the NRA or something should have to wear um, like shorts and a tank top, but there's no way to enforce that. <laughs> I think Barack Obama can totally wear a suit, but I think I think any politician that's a fucking idiot should have to wear like, wear like stupid jeans and like a t-shirt. I was uh, I was thinking because the the Yanni Laurel thing. Yeah, when you're listening to this, that just happened, and um, the, the Trump they like made a video, mm-hmm. and I was seeing like it's kind of funny that these people are making this video. Like, yeah, like people who are making these ho- decisions every day, and they stopped to like film a bad. Well, and then like Kellyanne Conway like said, I can spin it however you want, uh-huh. and then just like they're like making fun of their reputation for being like bad people yeah and i thought that was really funny <laughs> yeah oh that's yeah like darkly funny like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah no i mean i i i i don't mind doing topical stuff as long mm-hmm. as it's funny and um i once heard chris elliott talk about late night shows and say that um he thought that his overlap uh in terms of sensibility with letterman was a very big overlap because he thought of his own sense of humor as very or his ideas as disposable was the word that he used, but he didn't mean it in a bad way. He's like, he even clarifies like, I actually don't think that that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of late night comedy is kind of disposable, mm-hmm. which means that it's just sort of, you know, it's an idea you do it and then you move on to the next thing you do five shows a week. So kind of whatever pops in your head, it's that's it's, I think it's very much in line with just your gut instinct of what's funny you know, so that and that 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 kind of goes hand in hand with topical. It's topical stuff changes all the time. So just on a given day, you'll see. Okay, well here's here's like this Yanni Laurel thing. Yeah. What do I think about this? And I guess for me, the thing that I thought about it about that specifically was that. Uh, oh, this is kind of interesting. I want to I want to try to do this. And oh yeah, for me, I, I'm hearing Yanni, and. Uh, then I thought, okay, now I don't really care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't care. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know why I'm going deeper into this, but I didn't yeah. really care about it because I heard Laurel the first time and I was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like I saw like a New York Times thing where you could do a slider to do like pitch correct it to like, or you could just change the pitch of it. Uh-huh. And I thought that was cool because because yeah. then, then when, as I pitched it, I was like Laurel, Laurel, Laurel. Oh, Yanny. And then it was like Yanny, 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 Laurel. Yeah. And I thought that was cool how the ear, like in your ear and your brain just did that. Yeah, thing. I like that too. Yeah. I, I I kind of was thinking that it would be more fun to do a thing about how it's like really cool and fun. <laughs> yeah. Than about how like, oh yeah, who cares about that? Right. <laughs> I think it was cool and fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just weird. It's just weird how, I, I don't know. It's weird how that stuff penetrates, right? It's yeah. Like, you never know it's going to be a thing that everyone's talking about. Like that. It's like the that, the, the thing before, like the dress. The, yeah. The, the, golden whatever yeah. whatever whatever we, we, we don't need to talk about this anymore um we kind of talked about this earlier but uh what's like the difference of like doing a sketch for like ucb versus for like millions of people at fallon um i think it's all just it's just about knowing your audience and doing a sketch at the ucb is usually an audience that's more familiar with comedy mm. um and I shouldn't say more familiar with comedy. I should say more studious of comedy. So they've probably they probably have a bit of a higher bar set in terms of what's something new that they haven't seen before and in terms of what they're looking for when they watch comedy. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I, and this is a vast generalization, but I think uh, the American audience, especially when they're watching just a late night show, a show that starts at 1130, um, 
isn't necessarily trying to, uh, you know, discover anything new through mm. the, their comedy. Um, I think they're looking for something that feels comfortable and something that is funny and that makes them laugh. But I don't think that they need to see the next, you know, Monty Python or anything. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, you know, anytime I write something, I, I try to make it new because I think that um, <clears throat> I think that the the most important element in, in like laughing at something is being surprised by it, which means it has to be something that you haven't seen before. But <clears throat> the sort of the the other aspect of it is that I, I do think that a lot, you know, like our studio audience and audiences at home, I think often respond to uh, sort of the rhythm and the way that a sketch is done, not necessarily the, the content and just solely the words of it, but like who's saying it, how they're saying it, how, how it's being delivered. And so I think a lot of times if I have an idea that I'm excited about, I'll try to think, okay, and then what's kind of like the late night rhythm that I could put this mm. into. This is like, sort of new content that I haven't really thought of before and how can I um I hate that I just use the word content by the way but I couldn't think of <laughs> I couldn't think of like a different yeah. <laughs> new scripted words or something um and and then now how do I communicate this mm -hmm. to our target audience which in our case is like everyone you know in the United States yeah. and kind of in the world sort of <laughs> so that's the big thing is when you're when you're writing for so many people you can't be as esoteric with the way you deliver stuff. Um, if you do, then that's considered, you know, too weird. And then it often won't even make the show in the first place. So I do think you can have a totally weird idea on the tonight show, but as long as you just kind of funnel it through a medium that is, you know, digestible, I guess would be the word. <laughs> that is actually, I think a pretty good word for, the way that we present stuff at late night and kind of the way that most stuff is presented at late night shows. Like it's very easy to watch when you're high, you know, like there are yeah. a lot of shows <laughs> that I can watch when I'm high where I don't like something like, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, a good example. Like, Oh, I was watching a black mirror recently when I was high and I got about 20 minutes into it and lost track of what was happening. Right, right. Cause I think there were like a few things happening and there were a couple of layers and it was a whole, it was just, you know, I was feeling anxious. It was late night, you know, everything's just being presented to you right in front of your right. face. You know exactly what you're getting. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I don't mind that. I, I actually think that's kind of funny. To yeah. Just be like, and they used to do that at Conan all the time. You know, they would just say what the thing is and then, oh, look, it's the interrupter, you know? Mm -hmm. And then Brian Stack does the interrupter and, you know, they would say exactly what you're about to see and then you would see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I like that. Um, so Fallon, you started working on Fallon when it was late night mm -hmm. and then he went to the Tonight show. What were like the major changes from, from going to that earlier time slot? Um, I, I remember being told that we would try to do more jokes and that we would be more joke heavy mm -hmm. as opposed to relying on like weirder ideas. I think there was an active attempt to, uh, stop doing stuff that was as weird. Um, because we figured that more people would be watching and um, we wanted to maintain that, you know, like the, the large audience. Um, but to me, that again, that didn't mean that we couldn't do weird ideas. It just meant that we had to change the way that we presented them. Mm -hmm. I'll even give you, this is actually, I think, a perfect example of Late Night versus The Tonight Show. So, so John Haskell and I were in that group called Two Fun Men, 
And when we were on late night, two fun men performed a few of our stupid songs on the show. And they, they would be pretty dumb little bits that we would do. And we would come out and we would usually be wearing like jeans and the same color t-shirt, like jeans and both wearing a yellow t-shirt or something. Um, for the Tonight Show, we were under the impression that doing something like Two Fun Men would be a little bit too weird. So I came up with this idea where we would call ourselves Two Really Fun Men. And we wouldn't be wearing jeans and t-shirts. We'd be wearing like white tuxedos with, you know, okay. tropical themed, you know, cummerbunds and stuff. And, uh, and, and we would do songs, but they would be kind of classier songs. They would sort of be more, more in the vein of the Tonight Show. But the whole bit was just as stupid. Mm-hmm. It was just under the guise of, oh, yes, now we're not just, this is the Tonight Show, so we're not just having fun. We're having really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and that actually made it onto the show, and I think we probably did three or four of those two really fun men bits on the uh-huh. show. Um, but, yeah, that, that was a big that was a big thing, was um, heading more towards, towards, like, jokes that kind of have definite punchlines. Mm. Um, not necessarily my favorite type of comedy, um, but it didn't mean that I couldn't do my own type of comedy on the show. Right. Yeah. And you're now the head sketch writer at Fallon? Um, yeah, I'm like, I, I think my title is sketch supervising writer. I'm, I'm co-sketch supervising writer, yeah. So what are your responsibilities as that? Um, there's there's a lot of them. It, it, basically, it basically means that I am, uh, I, I, I'm kind of, I sort of field all of the, like, not all, but a, a large chunk of the material that the writers write. And I, um, you know, help develop it. I edit it. I give notes. I uh, basically kind of put it, help put it in shape to show Jimmy so that he could then take a look at it. And um, and then, uh, you know, hopefully he likes it and he wants to do it on the show. So I work, I work with a lot of the individual, with all of the individual sketch writers on particular bits that they have pitched or that have been assigned to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also write, I still write a lot. I'll, I'll usually try to write something every day and, um, and then I, I, I perform on the show, but that's not part of the job. Mm-hmm. The, the, the job specifically is more just about, um, overseeing the sketch ideas. It's, and, 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 and having a creative hand in it, but not, not necessarily being, you know, I, I would say the actual amount of stuff that I write is, is less than it was when I was a writer. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that's interesting. You mentioned you write something every day. Mm-hmm. How much material do you think you have that's been like not used at all? That's a good question. I mean, the, certainly the overwhelming majority of it, right? Um, and that goes for any writer who's ever been at the show. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there's so much quantity, so much output, and so little um, uh, space in the show for it. You know, like if, if you have, I think right now we might have like eighteen writers or something. So if you imagine all those writers spending most of their day writing stuff. And then having actually maybe fifteen minutes or twenty minutes of like comedy on the show every night, I really have no idea. Maybe like five percent of whatever I've written has made it to the show. Wow. If that, I, I don't know. That's that's how it was. Though. I used to submit headlines to the Onion for a few years. I was a contributor, and I think I once actually did the math and found out that like two percent of my headlines ever made it to the paper. <laughs> Well, do you ever submit um, any? I mean, you ever think about pitching new uh, old ideas again? Yeah, and I actually sometimes do that on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, if if there's just because you have so many ideas, sometimes it's just not the right time for something, mm-hmm. 
Or sometimes maybe Jimmy isn't into an idea, but maybe if you pitched it a different day, he might be into it. Right. Um, but I, I have uh, totally... Pit- yeah, I, I remember pitching some idea my first year on the show where I, I would play a sports correspondent talking about the Super Bowl. And it was like Super Bowl... Um, like, you know, XLVII or something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Jimmy would ask me a question. I would say, you know... Um, yeah, everyone's very excited about Super Bowl Exulvi. And I would just I would just phonetically <laughs> yeah. pronounce the Roman numerals and um Jimmy passed on it at the time, but then last year I I just was like I remember that idea and I I wrote it up again and it got on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I was like I still I still think this is funny 5 years later. <laughs> yeah. Uh what kind of stuff do you do just like do you do on Fallon that you don't think you could do like on another late night show? Um that's a good question. I mean, it depends on what the other late night shows are. I think the stuff that we do on Fallon that we can't do on other late night shows is largely plays into Jimmy's strengths as a performer. Mm-hmm. He's an he's an amazing person to write for because of how versatile he is and how much he can do. And um, it's I, I don't know if people really like fully realize that. I mean, I think some people do, and obviously fans of him know that, but. Um, any person who's writing at our show is very lucky to be there because they're writing for a host who really likes to try new impressions and is really interested in doing any kind of new idea. But um, he'll do dead on impressions of just about anyone. And I'm blown away by his level of commitment and how he studies the impressions. And I've, I've written a sketch that we've done on the show now, maybe like six or seven times called first drafts of rock where it takes a, a well-known rock song um, and you then you then see Jimmy perform the first draft of it. So we recently did one for the band American Woman and their song. Uh, oh, sorry, for the band the Guess Who, and their song American Woman. And Jimmy played the lead singer whose name escapes me right now. No, Burton Cummings. That's the name of the lead okay. singer, Burton Cummings. And uh, Jimmy watched a couple videos of this guy performing, and then. Um, I remember he asked me to pull up on my phone a video of this guy right before we started rehearsing it. He wanted to take a look at it again, and he just immediately started mimicking this guy's dances, and it was perfect. Wow. Yeah, it was unbelievable. But <laughs> stuff like that, you, you couldn't do that with um, uh, any other current late-night host because they, they wouldn't be able to do a Burton Cummings impression. Right, right. <laughs> Jimmy can pick up a Burton Cummings impression, <laughs> having only looked at a video a couple of times. And uh, do an extremely good job of it. Uh, that I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is, uh, yeah, his his the the range of Jimmy's talent. Yeah. So you've been working in late night for like six years. Uh, yeah. How? Uh, what's like besides maybe the rise of politics stuff? What's like the biggest change you've noticed over time? Um, just in terms of late night comedy in yeah. general. Um. I think that that would have to be it. I think yeah. it would be that, and then just the sheer number of late night shows that are out right. there. Um, and yes, just the general reliance on um, gra- you know over the shoulder graphics. You know those photos that appear over the oh, shoulder. Yeah. You know that you know when you watch Seth Meyers, he's talking about Trump, like yeah. all of that stuff. You think it's like a Daily Show influence on everybody? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's yeah. I think that's probably where that. Or started. maybe we can update. We can maybe? update. Yeah. yeah, that was the other thing. Is yeah, going back to then. Um, 
But I think, yeah, really, really getting like, you know, deep in the weeds on um, politics, mm-hmm. videos, uh, you know, you see a lot of videos of something that just happened that day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because late, you know, late night in the, in the 80s and 90s was, uh, you know, for Letterman, it was just, you know, it was, it was silly. It was nonsense. It was stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost never related to anything topical or political, which is why if you watch those old episodes now, they're still really funny. Yeah. And if you watched, um, you know, I feel like if you watched just any political, you know, your run of the mill political bit from a late night show, uh, a current late night show years from now, you'd be like, ah, yeah, all right, that's yeah. fine. Why did, why did I just watch that? Yeah. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's disposable. Like, like, uh, like Chris Elliott. Yeah. yeah. So to me, it still feels very much in the vein of late night that they're doing that because mm-hmm. it's a response to, um, something that changes so fast. Um, I think there are different ways that you could do a nightly show. One is to respond to what's going on in the world and, and, and culture. And the other is to just think of a whole bunch of different silly ideas. And that's kind of more of the Conan Letterman vein. Mm-hmm. Fallon falls in line with that too. And, and I think Jimmy, uh, I think Jimmy really likes doing that kind of stuff. Um, which isn't to say he doesn't like doing political stuff too, but, um, as far as I, you know, I mean, I, I, I just think, I don't think that there's anything wrong with doing comedy that's not political. And there's been this idea of floating around for a while now that, you know, if you're not, if you're not just criticizing Trump all the time, you know, maybe you're like a bad person. Or, actually, they just did a really funny sketch on Seth Meyers the other night where Ben Warheit played a moderate Democrat who wanted to be punished for his sins. <laughs> For his, for, you know, for just, you know, wanting to have nuanced discussion about issues instead of just, you know, uh, blatantly supporting everything that MSNBC says. And I, I, I thought that was a very funny sketch that had a good point behind it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting to see the, the trends of late night and how that changes. And I'm really curious to see what direction it goes in or to see how it changes when Trump you know, is no longer in office. I mean, people, people love, uh, watching stuff about Donald Trump. You know, they just do. It's, it's a, it's like a, a really, uh, as much as, you know, like we all hate that he's president. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. Cause like what came first though, you know, was it like people talking about Trump or people yeah. like interested in Trump? I don't know. I don't know. I think the two go hand in hand. Probably. Um, yeah. It's so funny thinking, you know, I don't know. We don't. We don't. Even, we don't even talk about Trump so much. But thinking back to like 2015, yeah. and how different uh, the coverage was of him. Yeah. Well, it was funny though because I remember he was. The coverage was very different, but also I, I remember thinking, oh, there's so much coverage of him right now. It's, yeah. It was. I actually was more exhausted by it then. I think because he wasn't even president, so which actually made it less funny. Now, now to me, it's like, I mean, it's it's horrible because yeah. he has he has this power and he really is. It is crazy that the worst person in America got elected to be the president <laughs> of America. Um, but then when he says or does something that's stupid, it's also uh, can sometimes be kind of funny because he's he's the president. Yeah. So, like, you know, I feel like one of the easiest sketch ideas that, you know, someone getting into sketch comedy could think of would be like stupid president. Right. Like, I feel like if I was a seven year old writing a sketch for the first time, <laughs> the first idea I would have might be stupid president. Right. And it might be a lot of the things that Donald Trump has like literally said. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember in, in 2015, yeah. I, I was in a UCB Sketch 101 class, mm-hmm. and I wrote a sketch. 
it was like the political week or something. I think like that's like they do that like a week where you write a political sketch. Uh-huh. And uh, I think mine is about Trump doing um, bad things and then becoming popular. I don't know. It wasn't. I mean, it's kind of what happened. But, yeah. <laughs> but it was maybe. I don't know. It wasn't a great sketch. But the, my thing is the the teacher said. Uh, I don't know why you guys all wrote about Trump. You know, I like to write like sketches that'll last a little bit longer, like uh-huh. a little top, like evergreen topical. <laughs> and he was wrong because that sketch is a hundred percent still topical. Yeah, three years later. Yeah, it's no one saw it come. Well, a few people saw it come. I had yeah. two friends who were like, "He's gonna get elected president." Yeah, and he fucking did. <laughs> no, I, I actually also wonder if he has been really good for um, like the popularity of late night comedy. It's 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 really weird when you to talk about benefits that come about because of Trump because you you want to believe that there are none mm-hmm. um but a, you know a lot of great comedy has come from the shitty shitty things that he's done and mm-hmm. a lot, it's a lot of it's been very cathartic to watch and makes people feel good and um you know there's always there's always good to be found in in the bad or in this case in the deplorable <laughs> uh what's something that surprised you about working in late night um what surprised me about working in late night um hmm that's a good question i guess just how much of like an office job it sort of is you know Mm. um but about how that actually kind of goes hand in hand with like uh comedy because you're in this sort of restricted sterile environment which forces your mind to kind of try to uh uh, imagine new ideas and, and think of new things. So you have to be civil because you're in an office and you're a human being, you know, living in the year 2018. So yeah. uh, everyone needs to, you know, <laughs> act well and behave and everything. <laughs> but then your mind can, you know, go to do whatever it needs to artistically to try to think of something that you really think is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, 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 so I, I like that. I, I like that it's like a good old office job. <laughs> um, and I think yeah, just the uh, the level of insanity and the fact that it always feels like a um, uh, a thing that's about to like collapse, but mm. just we just kind of manage to keep doing it every night. And I, I I talk to friends who work at other shows like that, and they feel the exact same way. That you know, they say yeah, it's like a miracle that we could do this every day. And um, and when I say that, I don't mean collapse like like things are going wrong there it's you know it's yeah. it's actually an extremely well-oiled machine um but it would feel like if you were to remove a couple of the key parts that the whole thing might just fall apart um but that is the other thing that kind of surprised me is just how well-oiled of a machine it is mm-hmm. it really feels like everyone's kind of you know firing on all cylinders and it, it's really impressive what would you like to be doing next that's a really good question i don't i don't know yeah. um I think about that sometimes and uh, it would be really fun to like, you know, work on a, a comedy TV show with my friends. Um, but for the time being, I'm really enjoying, you know, being at Fallon and it, it does give you an idea to think of new ideas. And that's the, other, that's the other really fun thing about the show is that you, you can, because a late night show is basically a gigantic, you know, King Kong sized monster that is just always, always needs to be fed you could you could think of any idea and it's possible that it could be that could be on the show because the show just needs stuff to fill the time (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah um so it's interesting to try to see how i how i will change as a person and whether or not that'll affect the kind of comedy i write for the show i think you can always evolve um you know within working at a late night show um or really probably anywhere too yeah 
Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really, ha- I, I don't know what, what's going to happen, but I don't know. It's kind of fun, <laughs> kind of fun to think that, you know, maybe there's something new and exciting out there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up with mm-hmm. you giving your thoughts on a, on a sketch pitch I have. Yes. Okay. I'm very excited about this. This is like, um, okay, yeah, this is like, I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a political comedian, kind of fits what we'll be talking about recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's telling a joke, and the punchline is like, that's like having Donald Trump play the national anthem on his guitar. And that's like the punchline to whatever the joke is. Uh-huh. Uh, and then when he, when he says that, a sound effect of a quick guitar riff plays, and he like air guitars to it. Uh-huh. Uh, and so then he does another joke, and the punch, it's the same punchline. Uh-huh. And then he plays, uh, the, the guitar riff's a little bit longer, and he plays the guitar riff. Uh-huh. And then he does the joke again with the same punchline. And then he air guitars the entirety of Jimi Hendrix's uh, national anthem. <laughs> and I don't have an ending. <laughs> Maybe I don't have a sketch, but that's like the half-baked idea I have. Like, I want it to be like introduced like a political comedian. And yeah. then it's just like him just wanting to play the air guitar at Jimi Hendrix's national anthem. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to even think. That's so funny. That's almost... That's almost not an idea. Right, even, right. You know, I know. It, it, it kind of makes me question what an idea even is. <laughs> uh, that being said, it, it actually sounds like it actually sounds like it'd be really funny. I, I, yeah. It, it just seems like it'd be kind of a fun thing to watch. Wait, what's the line again? What does um, he say? That's like having Donald Trump play the national anthem so, on his guitar. So he goes, that's like having Donald Trump play the national anthem on his guitar. And then you yeah. air guitar, but you hear... Beep! Like, yeah. is it the national anthem the first time, or just the air guitar? Uh, it, it's gonna—it's a sound effect. I don't know if it's the national anthem, but uh, it's some sort of guitar riff that you hear. Interesting. But the third time is Jimi Hendrix's the, it's, it's, yeah, it's famous entire, yeah. Woodstock national anthem performance. Yeah. Interesting. I'm trying to think of the first two should also be part of the national anthem. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then the second time he just does a little bit more. Yeah. And then the third time it's the full Jimi Hendrix version. Which, I mean, it could be fun if at the end of the sketch he said, you know, and that's how Jimi Hendrix was, you know, became Jimi Hendrix. Or, you know, like, <laughs> that's how Jimi Hendrix transitioned from comedy into music. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's missing some sort of, yeah. like, um, like some sort of uh, vessel, maybe, a thing. Or a, re- <laughs> yeah. a reason to exist, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's true, but I, I also... I, I don't necessarily require a, you know yeah. a, a reason in my sketches. Yeah. Um, to me, if it's just sometimes it's just funny, I can see that being funny. Yeah. I think it would it would have to depend on uh, who that person is who's playing the right. Person. They'd be like super into it, super into the guitar. Yeah, exactly. And I think they'd have to be pretty. Like if you saw Will Ferrell doing that, that would be really funny. Yeah. Or if you saw someone who's just any person you know who's really funny doing that, that'd yeah. be really funny. But then if you saw a not funny person doing that, you would kind of be like, wait, what's what's the idea here? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. I, I, I can see that working. That song's long too, right? That's it's a very long song. Yeah, yeah. His, his version of it has got to be a good three minutes or so. Oh, it's it. Okay, I thought it was like eight minutes, maybe. I think. Well, I watched the Woodstock documentary last year. Very, very good movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like it's about three minutes. I think they showed that song okay. in its entirety. But but um, the idea of uh, making an audience wait for three minutes while you hear the national anthem to me is very funny. Yeah, three minutes is good. Eight minutes would be too much. But yeah, three, three minutes works. I think. Yeah, so I, I would say that is I would say that is a good sketch. <laughs> It'd be funny if it was just he played the national anthem and then just walked off and that was the end of the sketch. There's like not another word. I mean, that's funny yeah. to me thinking about it. I don't think it'd be really funny in real life maybe, to, do, <laughs> to do that. They're probably I like the Jimi Hendrix 
couldn't went from comedy to music. I think that's a good. That could be that's a quick thing to yeah. I like thinking of Jimi Hendrix being a comedian yeah. and, and being a bad comedian. <laughs> yeah. He probably would have sucked at comedy. I like thinking about all the amazing musicians who would have sucked at comedy. <laughs> um Mick Jagger would have been good. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> He's a good actor. He's a good actor, yeah. Yeah, I think he would have been good. Mm-hmm. John Lennon I think would have had like an adult swim show. Right. <laughs> um I think Hmm. I think the guys in Steely Dan would have just been atrocious. Right. I love Steely Dan. Um, I think if they were to try doing comedy, it would be really bad. Yeah. Uh, no man, game. This would be kind of actually a fun conversation. Which comedians? <laughs> which comedians would be good at comedy? Which comedians would be good at comedy? Or sorry, sorry. <laughs> which comedians would be good at music? Is what I meant. Oh. Yeah. Mark Maron, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, no, sorry. I didn't even mean that at you all. You musicians get a comedy? Yes, I'm yeah. so sorry. My brain is currently tired. <laughs> Which musicians would be good at comedy? Yeah. But Mark Marin, ooh. Get that guitar? Ooh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, anything yeah. you want to plug? Um, just, I guess, that crazy old Tonight Show. Oh, yeah. Uh, watch that sometimes, because it's, it's actually going to be pretty funny. <laughs> um... Yeah, I think that's the main thing I would plug. All right. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. podcast for more information and shows visit boardwalkaudio.com don't forget to rate and subscribe now